we are digging deep into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this year. And we really kicked it off last fall with his shocking statements we call the Beatitudes. Surprising things he says about how you find your way to the kingdom of God, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, who's really living in the kingdom of of God. Uh, Many messes with our heads in those few statements. And then uh, this month and next, we're tackling the next little sections. We have a series for January. We'll start a new series in February. And uh, this is really what scholars say is probably the crux of the sermon. The Beatitudes were like the appetizer. And uh, they grab our attention where we're saying, seriously, Jesus? And then we come to this and everything we're going to do later for the next year, year and a half probably. Little breaks along the way, but for a year or a year and a half, everything else Jesus is setting up right now in the sermon. And so in January, we're talking about these few verses where he talks about salt and light. Why does he pick such everyday, ordinary metaphors to help us get our heads around his way, his way of life, what his kingdom actually looks like? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I tackled the salt question. And I reminded you that in the ancient world, salt was a very valuable commodity. It was a preservative. They depended on it for daily life. And, and this isn't something Jesus just says, this sermon. He shows us the sermon. Jesus, you might even say Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. The only way we can make sense of the Sermon on the Mount is to use Jesus' life to interpret it. All right. So he says this stuff, but then he goes around and shows us what this actually looks like. And one thing we see Jesus preserve always, every encounter with every single person, he preserves their worth as a creation of God. And we said a couple of weeks ago, if you want to know what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, you want to recognize the kingdom come, preserve the worth of every single person you encounter. And then I told you that salt, of course, brings the flavor out of whatever it contacts. And that it's a really freeing thing for us to realize we don't have to bring the flavor. We just get to help bring out the flavor. Here's what the kingdom of God looks like, my friends. When we simply join with God in whatever he's already doing in the world around us, we bring out that flavor. God's already working on it. We get to help with that. That's what salt looks like. And um, then last week, Jeremiah tackled uh, what Jesus says about light. You are the light of the world. He made a really profound intellectual statement, as Jeremiah always does. Light doesn't try to shine, it just shines, which is so simple and so really revolutionary, right? I mean, I really think this is what Jesus is getting at. Jeremiah said, we don't have to make our light shine, which is sometimes the pressure that we feel, just let it shine. Whatever God's doing in your life, let that out, you see? Life in God's kingdom is defined by trusting God to do good work in us, not trying harder to do good work for him. Now, the good work will come, but friend, doing good work is really just the overflow. It's the light shining, right? The first thing is, am I living in the light? Is God doing good work in my life? And if you missed either one of those messages, they were a great setup, not just for this series, They're so crucial to this entire emphasis on the Sermon on the Mount. You know where all of it is. It's out on our channels. Go catch up on it. It'll be a great way for you to hear some good news. Now, I want to start today by going back to these verses that Jeremiah and I have been looking at the past two weeks. And let's just refresh these four verses Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You 
or the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Now, this next part is what I'm going to drill down on today. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand. It shines on all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people. So, yes, they see your good, the good things you do and praise your Father who's in heaven. Quick reminder, do you know who Jesus is preaching his sermon to? The Bible calls them over and over the multitudes. These are ordinary, unremarkable, backward people of Galilee. These are the improbable, unlikely people. Jesus isn't saying this to the powerful Romans or the wise Greeks or the Jewish scholars. Some of them may have been at the fringe of things in the crowd, listening in, checking up on him, but they weren't the primary audience. The multitudes were his audience. And friends, even in that, we find some good news in this salt and light Jesus is talking about. Here's the good news I want to proclaim to you today. God's people are ordinary people who bless others by ordinary means. Just by living in the way of Jesus, we shine hope in the darkness, and people are drawn to the goodness of God. That, friends, is good news. It's such free news. Here's the thing. The kingdom of God does not need new, more YouTube stars. Amen? For real. I know in the world we live in, sometimes we just think, oh my gosh, I have you. And, and I'm not saying they might not be saying good things or doing some good work, but I'm going to tell you right now, the kingdom of God does not rise and fall on this week's YouTube star or social media celebrity or influencer. Jesus over and over affirms the world-shaping value of ordinary people who are just following the ways of an extraordinary God. And that, friends, is a game changer. It's so ordinary. If you don't realize this is the whole assignment, you might miss the beauty of it. I was having a conversation with a good friend the other day, a, a mom. We were talking about how we worry about people we love. Anybody else worry about your people you love? Friends, kids, grandkids, neighbors? Yeah. We all have this in common, right? And we were talking especially about our kids and what happens when we see them making unhealthy and unhelpful choices and we're scared to death where it's going to lead next and we don't know how to stop any of it. And she was talking to me specifically about her adult daughter, a daughter who's, you know, they've had a relationship for decades. Uh, the daughter knows up from down and right from wrong, etc. And she's watching her daughter right now put herself on some sort of a collision with life that is not going to be pretty in the end. And she basically says, I don't know how to stop her. Her daughter talks to her about it, but her daughter doesn't listen to a thing mom says. Anybody been there? Yeah. And she says to me, <laughs> she says to me, what can I do to save her from herself, Brian? What else can I do? And so I reminded her about a lot of things that are true in a situation like that. Just basic good stuff that we sometimes forget when we're all worked up about it. You can't control somebody else's choices. You're not responsible for somebody else's choices. Those things are true and deeply unsatisfactory, right? Because if it's your kid in the lurch and you're just worried about, they're going to fall off the tightrope they're on right now, you know, knowing I can't stop it and I'm not responsible for it, they're their own adult person, 
doesn't change the fact that you're worried and that you may have to watch them live with the consequences of their choices. And so we took it up a notch. And I said, one of the things that's been a super helpful breakthrough in my life over the last maybe 10 years is the freedom that I have to notice God at work and when possible, help the person I'm engaging with notice that too. That that simple shift is so ordinary, it looks like you're doing nothing at all. (laughs) I stated in week one of the series, what if instead of trying to bring God to the person, we just bring out whatever God's already doing in the person? Do we really believe that God's already at work? He's already present with them. Do we really believe God cares about my kid, my friend, my spouse, my colleague, even more than I do? Do we really believe that? Sometimes this is where we find out. And so I help this mom develop her imagination for what would it be like if I just focused more on being with my daughter because her daughter wants to talk to her about this stuff all the time. They have a great relationship. She keeps bringing it up. She just doesn't want mom to fix her. And every time mom tries to basically fix her, she has one more thing to resist, right? So I said, well, what if... What if you asked her better questions? What if you asked her how you could pray for her? Wow, honey, that is so tough. You're in a, you're in a big one right now, aren't you? Is there, is there a way I could pray for you like today that would be helpful? Or how, how, would, how could I pray for you this week? Ask her questions about what's going on. We call this in our Get Row groups, compassionate curiosity. Sometimes when we're just with people and we ask questions, first of all, their answers illuminate something for us. Oh, that's what's actually going through their head right now. That's what they're actually dealing with. Sometimes our questions force them to slow down and reflect a little bit, and it illuminates something for them. I talked to this mom about how sometimes our availability is better than our advice. Amen? Just staying in their life, for goodness sake. She wants you close, stay in her life. Sometimes presence opens up more in our kids and our loved ones than preaching at them does. And we forget that because it's so ordinary. Listen to me, friends. Listen to me, please. I hope we just absorb this good news today. That worried mom and any worried dads and moms and anybody else in this room. God's people are ordinary people. We just bless others by ordinary means. Simply living our lives in the way of God's kingdom shines hope into the darkness and it draws other people to the goodness of God. This is the point. I I think it would be helpful for many of us to remember that salt and light aren't sexy. They're just simple. Jesus doesn't need something sexy to get his work done. And sometimes what we get compelled by is Oh, how awesome that would be if we could save the world or rescue all those people or fix all those people are so wrong about all that stuff. And I think God's perfectly capable of all of that. (laughs) He just needs us to live in the way of Jesus in such a way that it shines hope into the darkness, which is exactly what they need and are looking for. And by the way, only God knows who out there is actually ready for the help anyway. Amen? And that's essential to the process. You can't help people who don't want it, and only God knows who really wants it. And often it would surprise you. The people you think want it, don't. And the people you think have given up on it, they haven't. And God can sort all of that out. What if we would just be with them? 
Kajitani says, to be the salt and light of the world does not require a person to do extraordinary acts or amass spectacular influence. The world, catch this, the world does not need more ambitious Christians. Salt and light, rather, are the outcomes of ordinary lives lived in rich communion with God, and our world desperately needs more of those. Amen? What if God's people were just so living their lives in communion with God, noticing God around them and at work, shining that light of hope wherever we are, just by presence of our being, See, listen, God just invites us to live the way of Jesus, and I'm going to promise you, other people will see and taste the goodness of God when we do that. And most people are more convinced by that than any preaching or fixing or advice-giving or rescuing will ever do. In this passage today, Jesus says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Now remember, cities in the ancient world, they were illuminated by lanterns and candles and so forth. They were frequently on top of hills. And when you saw, if nightfall was approaching or on you, and you saw that light from that city in the distance, it was your beacon forward to safety and refuge and comfort and so forth. Jerusalem, by the way, was one of those cities on the hill, on the hill we call Mount Zion. This is a modern-day picture of Jerusalem illuminated at night on top of Mount Zion, but that city's been there for thousands of years. The lights just weren't always electrified. And if you were traveling in the vicinity of Jerusalem in the ancient world, you would see miles away the light of that city drawing you in. Jerusalem, the light didn't have to try to shine. The light just shined by virtue of being. Listen, God's chosen people were to be the means by which all nations come to know the one true God and his dream for the world. Light. We, we sometimes, I love a, a line in that song, and I won't be able to think of it right now, but it talked about, um, about don't hide your light in the dark. You were born to shine or something like that, the last song that they sang. I love that line. It resonates with this idea to me. Sometimes we think, I, I think we, we act like we think our light is there to reveal all the bad stuff out there. What if our light is actually to reveal, people, to, to reveal to people the way forward towards the God who loves them? What if light was illuminating your way to safety, to refuge, to comfort, to peace? It all started with Abraham, as Jeremiah read to us last week. I will bless you richly and give you countless descendants, as many as the stars in the sky and the grains of the sand on the seashore. All nations of the earth will be blessed because of your descendants. He's saying that to a very particular person, Abraham, and to a very particular people group, the people of Israel. Now, catch this. Boy, we get this confused. The people of Israel weren't God's chosen people because they were so special more than everybody else. They didn't become more special than everybody else because they were God's chosen people. They were just the ones who were getting the party started. He had to start it somewhere. He wants to do it through someone. And so he chooses Abram and his descendants to be the ones who get the party started so that everybody can get in on it eventually. That was always the idea from the beginning. He didn't start with these people and say, I'm going to bless these people. And if they just really screw it up, maybe I'll bless everybody else. That's not how this works. He told him, you're blessed to be a blessing to the whole planet. And we know, just read your Bible, they got it wrong more than they got it right. The whole Old Testament is full of those stories. But you know what? They did get it started. And even better, in what people group 
Does God eventually drop his son Jesus? The people of Israel. And let me remind you, my friends, Jesus is everything God had hoped Israel would be. Wherever Israel messed it up, Jesus got it right. <laughs> Jesus is the salt of the earth. He is the light of the world. All these things, they actually come to full fruition in Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, the prophets are often having, uh, expressing hopes for the future. Isaiah, probably the one who expresses most strongly the hope that the Messiah would someday come and everything would truly be the way God wanted it. Here's just one passage. By the way, notice the mountain references. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains, lifted above the hills. People will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, come, let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways, so we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Mount Zion, the Lord's word from Jerusalem. It might help to know that in the ancient Near East, all peoples believed that gods lived on the mountaintops. Scholars from this period called them the mountain deities. So there was always this holy mountain, that holy mountain, this holy mountain, our God's on this mountain, your God's on that mountain. Do you remember in the New Testament when Jesus runs into the Samaritan woman at the well and he asks her for a drink and he gets into this really great conversation and somewhere along the way she's trying to get her head wrapped around what's happening in front of her right now and she says to him, but wait a minute. Where are we supposed to worship God? Where, where are we going to find him? Because your people say you find him on that mountain, and our people say we find him on this mountain. Which mountain's where we find God? <laughs> but God has now shown up in Jesus. Jesus is everything that Israel, God had hoped Israel would be. Jesus is the salt of the earth, and he's the light of the world, and he's set up on a hilltop, crucified for the whole world to see God's goodness. He becomes a beacon of hope. And new life drawing everyone to the goodness of God. He is the self-emptying love of God that the whole law and prophets were pointing to to begin with. Everything God wants to say, he's getting said in Jesus. Amen? And so he says to the woman at the well, but she asked the question, this mountain, that mountain. He says, good news. The day is coming soon when we will worship in spirit and truth and no holy mountaintops are required. No holy buildings are required. They may be helpful, they may be good for us, but they're not required. God is always present and at work. And Isaiah hoped for this. It happened in Jesus, and now it's available to the whole world. Uh, if you were here for the Christmas sermon, you may remember that we talked about how beautiful the incarnation is, that God comes to us in the flesh. And then I said, let's just dial that up a notch. It's even better than that. That God's spirit is now available to all people. Even better, the good news is not confined to just one physical body, Jesus, in one location, Jerusalem or Galilee or Nazareth. This is available to everybody. As the body of Christ, friends, we are now empowered by the spirit to embody the light of God's love to all people. Let me connect these dots real quickly that we just walked through for the last couple of minutes. Listen, what God dreamed from the beginning would be available to everybody. He gets it started in Israel. It comes to full fruition in Jesus. And now Jesus says, I'm going to deliver it to everybody else through you, my church. We are, you might think of, the chosen ones. Are we chosen because we're more special? No. Does it make us more special because we're chosen? No. Just like Israel, we're trying to get the party started. Amen? We're just trying to say, it's for everybody. We just happen to 
already be in on it, but come get in on it with us. <laughs> this is good news. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand. Notice, it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who's in heaven. Or as Richard Rohr says in his wonderful little book about this sermon, our job is to be a shining truth, to live on the mountaintop, to live the truth as best we can and let things fall where they may. But, wait a second, slow that down. How ordinary is that? Simply live in the way of Jesus the best we can and let things fall where they may. He says, what a difficult and non-pushy way to live. Amen? <laughs> I love that. Wait a minute, wait a second. How do those two words go together? Difficult and non-pushy. I think that is the point. To, you see, we're way better at calling everybody out, aren't we? We're way better about you know, fixing everybody and straightening them out and let's tell them the truth and all this stuff. And again, I'm not saying there's no room for any of those things when people are ready for it and the situation warrants. I'm just afraid we think that is our job and it's very rarely our job. You know what our job is? Live in the way of Jesus and shine some hope in the darkness. People will be drawn to the goodness of God. You're ordinary people and we bless the world by ordinary means. And there's nothing more powerful than an ordinary person having an extraordinary encounter with God in their everyday life. Amen? This is the good news for all of us today. Just live in the way of Jesus. And by the way, that's why we're digging into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get such a crash course on this for a few months. And it's going to be both more comforting and disturbing than you ever imagined. But I promise you, it's for all of us ordinary people. And that's the good news in it. One of the ways I'm learning to notice these opportunities more is to be more conscious of my posture. Now, not this posture. I've almost given up on that at this stage. But my posture when I show up in the room. For instance, when I'm in a difficult situation with somebody, do I feel pressure to walk these people through something? Or do I feel the freedom to walk with them in something? Do not miss the distinction there. There is a vast difference between the pressure to I got to walk them through this to just the freedom to be with them in it. <laughs> Which, by the way, is not a lot of fun either. It's a lot easier to think I can fix it. Amen? It's a lot easier to think I need to come up with some really great answer for these people. Well, I'm going to tell them what they should do. And forget that God may already be doing that, and maybe I could accompany him if I weren't so caught up in my own ideas about what should happen. See, if God's present at work and cares about them and their situation more than I do, I'm free to be with them, to watch what he's doing, to join him, and maybe that'll be illuminating for them. Maybe it'll just be illuminating for me. I don't know. My friend with her adult daughter, she's scared to death she's going to fall off this tightrope any day now and make some mistake that's going to just follow her the rest of her life. And there are a lot of days I have to accept that I can't fix or rescue or save the people that I love. But I can be with them. And if they're open, I can have compassionate curiosity with them for what's actually going on in their lives. You know, I can ask them questions if they're willing. I can ask how I can pray for them. If 
they're really open to it. I can help them name some bad news that they might be believing in their situation. I might be able to even help them name some of the good news that's there that they've been missing. And again, if they want it, I might be able to even help them figure out how to surrender to the love of God that's reaching out to them in that situation right now, better than I possibly could. But there's a big difference between thinking I'm responsible for this situation than thinking God's responsible, he's got it. I get to be along for the ride. I wonder how I could serve them. I wonder how I could help them. You get this? I get to be an ordinary dad and papa and husband and pastor and neighbor and friend who's just able to accompany people in the real stuff, good, bad, and ugly of their lives. And maybe along the way, God will let me shine a little hope into their darkness or something that I say and do or something they sense in my being will draw them towards the goodness of God that I get to live in every day. Amen? That, my friends, what a joy it is to live like that. So how about you? How about us, Meadow Heights? We are God's people. The body of Christ on planet Earth, that doesn't elevate us over anybody. It just says we get the joy of sharing the good news. <laughs> with the way we live our ordinary lives. We're getting the party started. We're blessed to be a blessing. When Jesus says, don't put your light under a basket, he's reminding us, when you hide your light in the dark, it's of no use at all, no more than salt that loses its saltiness. We can't be salt and light if we don't come into contact with darkness and decay. I'm gonna say that again. Don't miss it. We can't be salt and light if we don't come into contact with darkness and decay, amen? Doesn't do any good. When you hide your light under a bushel, it doesn't do any good when you want to scapegoat and blame all the people who are causing the darkness and decay. Jesus doesn't really make any room for that here. He just says, be the light, <laughs> be the salt, let's see what happens. How freeing is that? I think it's a game changer. I think God's kingdom shows up when God's people just shine. Can't help it show up. Because we're ordinary people who bless the world by ordinary means. And just by living in the way of Jesus, which is so upside down and so countercultural, believe me, it'll change everything about your life if you let it. But just living the way Jesus says and shows, my friend, hope will penetrate some darkness. People will be drawn to the goodness of God. And that is God's kingdom come. His will be done. A couple of weeks ago, um, I'm going to preach the sermon on salt. I surprised you by ending the sermon by singing to you, which I haven't done for a good two decades. And no, I'm not singing to you again today. We're not going to be doing this every week now. But I did think maybe I could sing with you. That maybe just singing together would remind us what it's like to be with somebody else. And you know this song, and if you don't, you'll know it about 60 seconds from now. And I, once again, couldn't get a song off my mind to end today's sermon with. And so we're going to do this together, if you'll be good sports and humor me. Would you stand to your feet? And would you join in? If you can't sing, don't want to sing, feels too vulnerable to sing, smile really big. <laughs> this little light of mine... I'm gonna let it shine 
This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That, my friend, that's what God's people get to do this week. You leave this room and you let the light shine and just see what God illuminates. See what God does with it. And if you can help accompany somebody else through a light shining moment, you do that as well. Don't protect yourself. Don't hide the light. Don't blame a bunch of other people because they don't have a light that's shining the best you can tell. Just let your light shine and let's see what God does with it. Let it shine on everyone in the house. Good news, my friends. This is such a relief. God's people, ordinary people, who bless others by ordinary means, when we shine the light, it shines hope in the darkness, and it draws people to the goodness of God. I can't imagine a better way for you to invest the next 167 hours till we do this again than that assignment right there. I love you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.